Good morning, everyone. We're not planning to sing a hymn this morning to begin with, but I want to tell you a little story about a hymn writer whose name is John Samus. John was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1846, and he moved to Indiana when he was 22. And he was a lost young man like the prodigal that we read in our lesson this week. But he was found by God, and he was saved by God's grace. And he later became a Presbyterian pastor, and he served churches kind of all over the Midwest, but a church in Red Wing, Minnesota, and St. Paul, Minnesota, which I thought was really cool. And he wrote more than 100 hymns. One of them is rather famous. See if you recognize this one. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Well, not all of his hymns were that famous. And I found one yesterday when I used that great tool that we have on our computers called Google. <laughs> I put in lost and found hymns. And this is the one that came up right here, and the title is called Lost and Found, and it was written by John Samus. And I, I just thought it was so beautiful, the way it fit with our lesson today, that I want to read to you the, the lyrics, because I, I wasn't familiar with this hymn at all, and I didn't figure any of you knew it, unless there is somebody that knows it. No? Okay. Let me read to you. Stanza one. What were we when mercy found us? Captives unto death and sin, clouds and darkness closed around us. All was hopeless, night within. We were lost, but Jesus found us. Burst the bonds of death that bound us, wrapped the robe of grace around us, and the heirs of glory crowned us. Stanza two. What are we since mercy found us? Blameless, spotless in his sight, sons and saints, his word has crowned us, called to walk with him in light. Yes, we were lost, but Jesus found us, burst the bonds of death that bound us, wrapped the robe of grace around us, and the heirs of glory crowned us. Stanza three, what shall we be? That's a story never uttered or expressed. We shall see him in glory and be folded to his breast. We were lost, but Jesus found us. Burst the bond of death that bound us. Wrapped the robe of grace around us. And the heirs of glory crowned us. Isn't that beautiful? John Samus. All right. Well, this morning, we have the joy of hearing from Jenny Nacelli, so I'm going to ask Jenny to come. Jenny is a dear sister, a follower of Jesus, wife of Andy, who some of you know from our current Sunday morning sermon series on predestination, and we're so glad that Andy has been teaching us, and we're so thankful for the Nacelli family. Jenny is the mother of four beautiful daughters. She's a homeschool teacher. She's a member of Bethlehem, she's a sister, she's a daughter, and when she isn't teaching the little girls, she loves to bake sourdough bread and grilled chicken, right? Okay, 
And she is such an encouragement to me, and I count Jenny as a dear friend. And it's my privilege to have Jenny here this morning, so I would love to pray. Lord, would you strengthen Jenny this morning? Would you just give her the grace and the strength and the focus that she needs for this wonderful task of opening these parables of the lost and the found for us. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see, that you open our ears to hear, that you would open our hearts. And Lord, would you transform us through the power of this word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I start, I just wanted to thank you. Many, many of you in this room are older than I am, and I don't mean that as an insult. I'm, I'm honored that you would ask a younger woman to teach. And I want this to be an overflow of what I found when I was studying. Um, But at the same time, I also know that many of you have known the Lord a lot longer than I have. And I'm eager to learn from you too. Let's open our Bibles to Luke 15. And I'm gonna read straight through. And then we'll pray again, and then we'll start working on it. Luke 15, verses 1 through 3. Well, the whole thing. I'm going to start with 1 through 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Let's pray. Father, right before this story, you say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today. We need your enabling to be able to hear, to be able to understand, and to be able to obey your words. Thank you for helping us. Please continue to help. In Jesus' name, amen. Those stories are so powerful. Every single time I read them, I just get chills. So in, this par- in these three parables, Jesus is doing some interesting things. One of the interesting things that he's doing is he's telling the exact same story three times. How many of the parables does he do that? He doesn't normally, does he? Normally, he just tells a parable, moves on, tells a parable, moves on, tells a parable, moves on. But he cared enough about the point in this parable that he told it three different ways. So I want to start by looking at the first two parables because they're really parallel. They're almost identical. They're not identical. Um, There are some really important differences, but they're really similar. So I want to start by looking at the first two parables and see if you can find the parallels. Now, when I teach, I do not like to read my script. I really like to have interaction, so I am going to ask you questions. And I'm not scary. You have to answer me. Um, So please give me feedback. So let's look at the first two parables, and let's see if we can find some parallels. Let's first look at the characters. So who is the main character in the first parable? Who's the main character who's going out looking for something? A shepherd. Good. It's a shepherd. Now think about the society that Jesus would be talking to. Shepherds would be really normal. Think about the second parable now. In that parable, who is the main character who's lost something and is looking for something? A woman. So a woman who's lost something, if she's anything like me, is extremely normal. (laughs) And I'm encouraged about that, that it was normal in that society too for a woman to lose things. So a woman who's lost a coin and a man who's lost a sheep, Jesus is intentionally making these parables really, really relatable to the audience that he's 
sharing with, and then what did each person lose? So in the first parable, the shepherd lost a sheep, and in the second parable, the woman lost a coin, and the coin would have been a Greek drachma, which would have been about a day's wage. So it was a valuable coin. It wasn't like losing an Aldi quarter. It was actually valuable, (laughs) so it was worth looking for. Um, And then let's talk about quantity. So the shepherd had how many sheep? He had 100, and he lost one. So he lost 1% of his flock. So it's a loss, but it's not a huge loss. For the woman, how many coins did she have? She had 10. Sorry, let me try again. How many did she have initially? She had 10, and then she lost one. So she lost 10% of her savings. So do you see what Jesus is doing? He's intensifying it. The value's going up. Now I want you to look and see if you can find any repeated words. So I'm just going to pause... Go back and look at the first two parables. I found four words that Jesus repeats over and over. Just, yeah, lost is one. Good. The opposite of lost is found. Good. So he repeats that one. Then there's two other words that he repeats. Joy and rejoice. Good. And one other one. It's at the very end of both of the parables. Repent. Good. So hang on to those words. I'm not going to define them yet, but we're going to come back to those in the last parable. Okay, and then let's look at the parallel reactions of both the shepherd and the woman. So how do they both respond when they find their lost thing? Yes, they have joy, but they don't just respond with joy. What do they do specifically? Yes, good. They're calling other people to share their joy with them. So it's not just, oh, I found it. It's, look, I found it. So the joy is big, and it's inviting other people in. Okay? So let's take that framework. It's almost like Jesus gave us an outline twice to make sure we got it. And he did it one for men and one for women, so that we would both have somebody relatable. And then he goes into his story. Now, I don't know if you noticed when I was reading, but the story really changes in almost like in genre. The first two are, are patterned stories, and they're, they're very patterned. And the third one, it's like you're opening a storybook, and there's all kinds of interesting details that Jesus is doing. He sticks with the same pattern mostly, but he has all of these interesting details that make it feel so much more real. So let's look at the characters for the, first, for the third parable now. The characters change pretty drastically in the third parable because there are more of them. So instead of there just being one person who's lost a, a thing, now we have a father and we have two sons. So now we have three characters. And the main character changes from the person who loses something to the lost thing. So imagine if in the first two parables, if Jesus had told it from the perspective of the lost coin. Or if he told it from the perspective of the lost sheep. I've read children's storybooks that are told from the perspective of the lost sheep. Why do you think Jesus changed it? Why did he change the main character to be the lost thing instead of the one that was looking? What? The value goes up. Good. Very good. Also, How does it help us when we're listening to the story? How does it help us to put ourselves into that third story? What's he doing? The value goes up, and also we can relate. 
Because suddenly we understand how the lost person feels and we can say, ooh, that sounds like me. I was like that. So the character shifts from it being the person looking for something to being the actual lost thing. It's told from that perspective. There are more characters. And then Jesus intensifies again. So if you lose a sheep, it's sad because it might get eaten by a wolf or a bear. If you lose a coin, it's sad because you probably worked hard for that coin. But what is the thing that's lost in this parable? A son. How much more valuable is a child than a coin or a sheep? So this past week we had something happen in our family that made me really think about this. My five-year-old daughter, Eden, lost her water bottle at Long Lake Park on Wednesday night. And it was a very special water bottle to her because her daddy bought it for her and it had these pink paisley swirls on it and she loved it. So she lost it on Wednesday night. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday she asked me if maybe somebody had found it and had told us. No, I'm sorry. I haven't heard that anybody's found the water bottle. We texted friends and asked them. Nobody had seen it. So Sunday we went to the, at her request, we walked to the lost and found. We checked the lost and found. No water bottle. Very sad, Eden. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, she asked again, Have, has anybody seen the water bottle? Nobody's seen the water bottle. But Wednesday night, Pastor Dan Holst said, there's a special Wednesday night lost and found, and it's over here on this table, and if you've left anything and, and we've picked it up, it'll be over here. So Andy went over and he checked, and sure enough, the water bottle was there. <laughs> and I wish you could have seen her face when he came up and said, hey, Eden, <laughs> there was joy in the presence of our family. <laughs> But can you imagine how much more intense it would have been if we had left Eden at Long Lake Park? Can you imagine how much more intensely we would have searched? How much more distraught we would have been? And how much more joy we would have found, we would have had if she had been found? And that is what Jesus is communicating in this parable. He's saying, this is how much more valuable you are to me than a water bottle or a sheet or a coin. He's intensifying down again. And then he's doing it not just with the parent-child relationship, but he's doing it with quantity. So first we had one out of 100, and then we had one out of 10, and now we have one out of two. And you could argue that he was losing both sons. So the quantity, it, the, 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 the amount, the, the, I forget the word I'm looking for. Thank you. The value goes up. Thank you so much. I'm not good with math. <laughs> and then the reactions are different because there are more people in the parable. And there's a whole nother section to the story that was not in the first two. In the first two stories, it just ends with an invitation. Please come rejoice with me. In the third one, there's a whole chapter two. That doesn't happen in the first two. So how does the son, the first, the younger son, how does the younger son respond when he's found? What does he first have to do? First, he has to repent, right? How does the father respond when he sees his son? He rejoices. He rejoices over him. But how does the older brother react? He's angry and he grumbles. Hang on to that, because we're going to come back to that and talk about that more. 
How does the father call the older brother to respond? What does the father say? He invites him to rejoice too. He says, don't grumble, rejoice. We had to do this. So let's think again. Why is Jesus telling this story three times? What is it that he's trying to communicate? Well, there's some really important concepts that he wants us to get. So let's go back to those repeated words. Lost, found, repent, and rejoice. And let's talk about what those words mean. What does it mean to be lost? Well, in the first two parables, it's easy. She loses the coin, the sheep wanders away. But in this parable, Jesus is showing us really clearly what it means to experience the the feeling of lostness. Look at verses 12 and 13. The younger brother said, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And so he divided his property between them, and not many days later the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So what does it mean to be lost? That's what it means to be lost. In a modern movie, this would be the end. This would be the let it go, celebrate, you have finally found your identity, follow your heart, ending. It would end right there. This boy discovered his identity. He is boldly taking his inheritance and living freely without any restraint. He's charting his own path and discovering his own way. But in the eyes of God, the boy is what? He's lost. And he needs to be found. Well, what does it mean to be found? In the first and the second parables, the lost items are just found by their owners. But what about in this parable? Look at verse 17. What does it say? It says, when he came to himself. What is happening there? He's being found by God. It's not an accident that there was a famine as soon as he ran out of all of his money. It's not an accident that no one would give him anything. God is doing that. And it's not an accident that he's waking up. He is, by God's kindness, opening his eyes. And he's seeing himself as the dirty, hungry, shamed, and miserable sinner that he really is. I often tell my girls, if you even want to follow God, that's a sign that God's working in your heart. We don't naturally want God. And so for this boy to wake up and go, oh my That's God finding him. And then what does it mean to repent? At the end of both of the first two parables, Jesus ends by saying, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And I think it's interesting that he says, repents and not is found. He could have said, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who is found. And that would have fit better with the first two stories. A coin can't repent. A sheep, I don't think, can repent. But Jesus is saying, who repents, and then he gives us this third story to explain what that means. Look at verses 17 through 19. The boy says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm perishing here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
Jesus is letting us in to hear the boy's thoughts, and his thoughts are repenting thoughts. So what does it mean in this parable to repent? What is he doing? He's admitting the truth about himself and about his sin. He's willing to leave his rebellious life, and he's willing to accept the consequences for his sin. He's not going to waltz right back in and say, I'm home. He's saying, I sinned, and I know I sinned, and if you'll just give me a job on your farm, I'll do it because I'm hungry. So he's willing to accept the consequences. But the best word in all of the parables is rejoice. And this parable shows us what it means for the father to rejoice. How does the father respond? Look at verses 20 through 24. This father is not holed up in his managerial office with his arms folded and nursing bitter thoughts. This father is waiting. He's sitting on the front porch, eyes glued to the road. He wants to see his son's familiar shadow. And when he does... He leaps off the porch. He runs down the road. He pulls up his robes in an undignified old man gallop, and he throws his arms around his pig-stenched son. This is Jewish culture. Pigs are shameful. Do you want to touch somebody who's been feeding pigs and wanting to eat pig food? No, but he does. He interrupts his son. Did you catch how he interrupted him? His son had his whole speech written in his head, and he only got about two-thirds of the way through before his son interrupted him. He didn't let him finish. He immediately clothed him with new clothes, and he commanded a feast. This father is a good father. In the first two parables, Jesus says, There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. And I think if we only had the first two parables, we would think, well, who's in the presence of the angels? Maybe it's sinners that have already gone to heaven. That's probably what it is. They're rejoicing. They're maybe watching from heaven, and they're happy that more sinners are saved. I don't think that we would have the nerve to imagine that it was God who was doing the rejoicing. But Jesus makes it explicitly clear. God is the one rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. And that is incredible. So how do these parables apply to us today as Christian women? Well, are you lost? You can repent. This brother gives us such a good model for repentance. You can pray with the Son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am not worthy to be your child. Please make me like one of your servants. And if you pray like that, God will interrupt you, and he will throw his arms around you, and he will rejoice over you. But most of us here are already found So are you a woman who has been found by God? Then you should rejoice. Jesus gives us an amazing promise in verse 10. He says there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So that means that there's joy in heaven because of you. Repentance is a gift, a gracious gift from God. And there's an amazing joy, a joy-filled celebration in heaven Oh, every single time that God grants another sinner repentance. 
But there's another character in these stories, and there's a part two to the third parable. Do you remember who the third character is? The third character is the older brother. Why did Jesus add this character in? Do you remember the very beginning of Luke 15? Go back and look at verses 1 through 3. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes, what? Grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, have you ever made a meal, a really good meal, that you put a lot of thought and time and effort into, and you were excited to bring it to the table? And you put it on the table, and people grumble. How do you feel about that? Do you feel righteous indignation? I think Jesus felt righteous indignation. Look what he's doing. He's rescuing these people. And there are people who are going, I don't like it when you serve food like that. And it made Jesus angry because there is a righteous kind of anger. Jesus is saying, What are you doing grumbling? You're supposed to be rejoicing. So how does that apply to us as Christian women? Well, what do we think about people who unfairly keep raising our taxes and causing inflation? (laughs) What do we think about white-collar criminals? What do we think about people who collude with foreign governments to try to cause our harm and their profit? What if we saw a bunch of people like that crowded around Jesus? What would we be tempted to do? That's convicting to me. But what's even more convicting to me as I thought about this, and I thought about what it would really mean to be the older brother in this story, I started wondering, am I ever tempted to respond like that with grumbling? When someone who has lived a rebellious life for all of her life suddenly turns to God, leaves her life of sin, and is gloriously saved. Now, of course, all of us would immediately say no. No, we would never feel that way. We are Christian women. We rejoice. But really, do we rejoice? Or are we tempted to resent the blessing and the attention that they're getting for their repentance? Do we resent God's kind blessing on their life when they have lived decades of a life so contrary to God's law? Are we tempted, like the older brother, to hold up our obedience before God and to remind him that we have been serving him much, much, much longer than that sister over there and not received such a celebration as she's receiving? That's convicting to me. Are our hearts responding then with grumbling or with rejoicing over God's generous mercy? So that's the main point of the parables. Jesus wants us to respond to his flagrant mercy by rejoicing and not by grumbling. Jesus tells us there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. Are there really any people who need no repentance? No, but there are a lot that think they don't. Jesus is the one who calls to his friends, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin! Jesus is the one who calls, Rejoice with me! I found my lost sheep! And Jesus is the one who ends the parable with these 
words. We had to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible, amazing mercy. Thank you for seeking each one of us when we were lost. Thank you for granting us repentance and for rejoicing over us when we were found. Would you please enable us to respond to others' forgiveness with the same joy that the angels in heaven show over a sinner's repentance? We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.